It's time for the Average Pros Fantasy Football Podcast, featuring Jonathan Rates, Alex Huff, and Braden Crow. What's going on, everybody? Hope that you are having a great day today. Welcome into the Average Pros Fantasy Football Podcast, a fantasy football podcast that is bringing you the clear, concise, and competitive advantage you've been looking for in the time you're hoping for. It's me, Jonathan Rates, joined by the rest of the Average Pros crew, Braden Crow and Alex Huff. Guys, preseason's over. Three-week preseason, still trying to get used to that. But uh, what are kind of your initial takeaways from it heading into the season with with kind of two weeks in between here? Yeah, uh, there's a few takeaways um, to look at from the past three weeks. I would say for me... Uh, I am scared of Cam Akers. I started off training camp being really excited. I thought that he would be back um, given the time frame, given the time to prep, um, but he is still not running. Um, and it's not like he has, it's not like week one is a Monday night game for them. They are literally the first NFL game and it's Thursday night. We are just barely over a week away from football it's crazy and so um but also with that uh cam makers is not running and i don't see how he's gonna be able to start week one so i have daryl henderson in a few leagues i may be throwing him into an rb slot getting some points um on the thursday night matchup but yeah i i don't see how he's gonna be ready for week one yeah, I was going to say, if you don't have Daryl Henderson and somehow he's on your waiver wire, grab him immediately because this is concerning not only for week one, but it's concerning if he's not cleared to practice or cleared to run right now. We don't know what that's going to look like. And a consistent theme for us, at least at the, here at The Average Pros, is everything that we're talking about from a Cam Akers perspective is inversely related to Travis Etienne, right? So... Keep buying Travis Etienne because James Robinson also has an Achilles injury. Just he injured it nine months later. So um, just always want to plug that just in case our listeners forget. But uh, yeah, so but I'm also this Cam Akers news. I actually didn't know about it till today. It's definitely definitely scary. Yeah, there were some reports that he I guess Sean McVay said in some capacity he was a participant in practice. I think he said he was a full participant, but what does that mean? Like if he wasn't running the day before and you know, it's just, there's a lot of question marks. There are a lot to sift through. There's nothing that says he's, you know, ready to go. And, uh, it's the best he's ever looked. And is it a little bit, um, if you're still drafting, are you drafting Cooper cup or Allen Robinson any higher knowing that they're probably going to lean on their passing game a little bit more in the season? Or is this, is that not a factor? It's hard to draft Cooper Cup higher than the 101. Well, he's not going at the 101. No, 101, 103. I mean, it's it's pretty close. Okay, Allen Robinson. Are you are you bumping up Allen Robinson at all? Maybe Matthew Stafford even. I know the elbow thing is a concern, but maybe let's just talk Allen Robinson. Uh, I probably am not. I mean, I'm high on them anyways, um, but I don't know if I'm bumping them up necessarily. I've been rising on Allen Robinson in recent weeks. I've yet to get him in a draft, but he just keeps kind of going, creeping higher. I think, yeah, he's he's going to be a, a pretty good value this year. But 
Well, I was really intrigued by Michael Carter, Carter and Brees Hall. Um, just the fact that Michael Carter is profiling as the one they said, he's kind of the starter. Um, I will say in this last preseason game, Michael Carter did fumble a uh, little shades of Antonio Gibson, Brian Robinson, who we'll talk about a little bit later, but in some sense, but, uh, Brees Hall, I, man, I still think he looks electric. We were talking about this a little bit before the show. Uh, I just don't know. It's probably going to be a little bit more of a one, a one B to start the season. It really feels a lot like Javante Williams, Melvin Gordon last year. Correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, and we, we see what we got in Javante now. So, uh, those are just my kind of initial thoughts here in that news. I don't know if y'all see it differently. Yeah. I mean, similarly to how high we are on Travis Etienne, we're pretty high on Brees Hall. I think just as a podcast, I, I'm not reading too much into it. I'm honestly buying the dip on Brees Hall as much as I can. Um, he still just has that prospect profile. It, it honestly comps to Jonathan Taylor. Like his collegiate profile is is a very is a very solid indicator that he will be a good running back in the NFL. Michael Carter's okay. He's kind of has the pass catching ability. I just am not reading too much into it personally. Maybe I'm wrong on that, but I like it's just it's he's the one oh one. They invested capital in him. Maybe you're right. It's a slow start, but I, I don't see how Brees Hall is not just a dominant force going into like week nine. Yeah, I this reminds me a lot of Jonathan Taylor's rookie year whenever all the reports and preseason even like Marlon Mack was getting the first team reps. Like Marlon Mack was running yeah, with the that's ones. A good call. Yeah. Taylor, Taylor was, he was coming in, he was getting work, but also Hines was catching passes. And then, you know, we'll never know what the full season would have looked like with Mac and Taylor. Um, just cause that was the season that Mac tore his Achilles. Um, but what we know and what stays constant in fantasy football is that talent always wins out and it's a sooner or later thing. And just with, um, Robert Sala, I just think that the head coach for the Jets, for anyone who's wondering, I think that that he's going to see the talent and um, Brees Hall is going to have more of the backfield than we are giving him credit for. Yeah, and I think the comp, Jonathan, you might have said to Javante Williams last year, I think we could see a very similar kind of progression where it's, it is a timeshare. Brees Hall is not helping your team more than he should based on his value right now, but come kind of towards the end of the season, he starts to kind of just talent wins out. I think coaches see it on the field. They know, especially the jets are not going to be an incredible football team. They're going to need to win. You got to put your best guys out there. I think Brees Hall is going to be that guy. So I think he's the bet to make still in that backfield. But if you don't get him, yeah, I think Michael Carter is still an early season play. Is he a trade target for you uh, right now is like a running back two, if, if with this news coming out. Uh, I wouldn't say right now, I would probably wait till like right after week one or week two where Michael Carter's getting more work than people expect. Yeah. I had a draft last night too, and I drafted Brees Hall as my RB two, and I am completely fine with it. Where did you take him and how many teams was it? I took him in the, pull it up really quick. I took him in the fourth round. I took him at the four or six and a 12 team league. So in a 10-team league, he's probably going back to the fourth, early fifth. But I took him ahead of Elijah Mitchell and Josh Jacobs and David Montgomery, and I'm that doesn't really bother me. Huge, huge upside, I would say. And you mentioned uh, Jonathan Taylor's a pass catcher. I think Brees Hall profiles as even better pass catcher. Um, maybe that's just kind of the games that I saw him in. But uh, definitely, definitely wouldn't wouldn't hit the panic button on that. 
Well, that's preseason takeaways for you as you enter in the season. So definitely check those out, especially if you still have drafts, kind of get, get that information. Don't, don't read too much into them, but definitely good information to have and, and how you value people. So we'll continue to talk about how we value people. Uh, previous episode, we talked about guys that can finish as top finishers, but maybe aren't being drafted with that view in mind. Well, today we're going to be talking kind of about the inverse of that and, uh, basically those guys that are being drafted to be top five league winners that we just don't think will be able to do that. So in a sense, we're classifying them as busts, but want to be pretty clear that these are going to be guys that just aren't really going to hit that value that they're being drafted at. That draft capital is is not going to quite hit in our opinion, and we're going to kind of give you the reasons why. So without further ado, we'll start with the quarterback position and Braden, we're all going to kind of talk about this guy, but uh, go ahead and lead it off with with who we've got there. Yeah, so the guy that we're going to be talking about here is Patrick Mahomes, and we love Patrick Mahomes. Um, sure, he's a great guy, nice man, um, but he is being drafted in the third round. Um, he's had Tyreek Hill leave um, and a um, menagerie, of um, receiving options come in, including a seventh round running back and uh, MVS who never amounted to anything and uh, Juju who's dealt with injury and had one really, really, really good year. Um, Lots of just um, lots of non elite options. And plus he's having a, he has a 33 year old tight end and just you you know the stats about aging tight ends and that that early 30s threshold that everyone just starts to kind of um, decline. And so Kelsey's great. Um, he may be an exception to that rule, but just kind of looking at statistically what is expected, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be hard for him to be the QB1. Um, Josh Allen is electric. He's He runs the ball a lot. He has much better options to throw to than um the chiefs do and the same thing with justin herbert i would rather take herbert in the fourth than take uh, mahomes in the third just because of um you know staley's offense goes for it on fourth they're on the field more um so many big high scoring games um better weapons and so there's just some concern there with mahomes you know mahomes we know is he will be a hall of famer um he's amazing but um I just, we are worried that he is not going to be able to return draft value in the third round. Yeah, I think that's what you said was going in the third. I feel like this is a conversation we have every offseason that Patrick Mahomes is still going to probably be the NFL quarterback one, but not maybe the fantasy quarterback one. And I know this was a kind of a Tom Brady thing for a long time, and Aaron Rodgers has been in this category. Um, Over the last three years, Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes are neck to neck. Right, uh, Josh Allen beats out Patrick Mahomes in the last three years, from 2019 to 2021, by 40 fantasy points total. So they're close. And Josh Allen has finished last the last two years as the quarterback one. So Patrick Mahomes is right there, but it he just creeps up to the point where it's there's too much opportunity cost, and he doesn't run enough to really justify his price. And so I think I feel like this is a conversation we have every year, but. There's always somebody right behind him that everyone would kind of prefer, and then or you pay up and get the Josh Allen um, because he has the rushing ability and has that kind of like playmaking ability where he'll just win you multiple weeks. But 
Um, totally agree. I don't think really anyone's ever advocated for drafting Patrick Mahomes at his current cost, especially in redraft outside of Superflex. Um, but yeah, totally agree on that. Yeah, and a lot of it has to do with the surrounding circumstances of Patrick Mahomes, not him as a player. I think he's continued to get better. He's adapted some of how he plays, but he lost weapons and he's playing in one of the most competitive conferences or divisions, excuse me, in football. Uh, I just think that there's also just a lot of guys with a lot of upside that can hit with rushing floors like the Jalen Hurts, Lamar Jackson coming back. I think he's going to be fantastic. Uh, Joe Burrow in six-point throwing leagues is really dangerous with that Bengals offense. And then, of course, you have the Tom Brady's, the Aaron Rodgers. There's just a lot of guys gunning for that spot. And so to put that much draft capital, when you can get a guy like uh, Javante Williams or a high-profile wide receiver is is just a lot to, a lot to take there. So... Uh, you mentioned Josh Allen as well. I, I think it's a little bit less true about Josh Allen and, and what he's going to be. I think there's really not a world I see where he doesn't finish top three, but I think this is a cautionary tale to say, if you're drafting Josh Allen to be the the quarterback one, that's never happened three years in a row. So be cautious of that. Keep that in mind as you're drafting. And again, take note of where those values are and, and you're scoring in that league. So uh, good stuff. Kind of just wanted to touch on quarterbacks there. Obviously uh, we spent a lot of time kind of on who those guys can be, uh, but really with the quarterbacks uh, you can, you can, there's a lot of, not a, as wide of range of outcomes as some of these running backs and wide receivers we're going to talk about. So um, we've each got a guy when it comes to running backs and wide receivers that we're going to talk about. And again, just kind of talk about why we think that they aren't quite going to reach that uh, price that they're, they're being drafted at and why we feel like ultimately they, they'd underperform and, and in our, our case be a bust of a, of a draft price. So uh, first up you got Huff, go ahead. Yeah. So uh, just to define bust as well, um, we're just kind of talking about guys that, especially relative to last podcast where we were picking guys outside the top tiers that we believe could finish as the overall one. These are guys that are in that top, one, two, three rounds that we don't really believe have the profile to finish as the overall number one. And therefore, there are other people around them that have a better option to do that. And that makes more sense to go for them in that category, right? So my guy this year is Najee Harris. He's being drafted around running back six, depending on what platform you're looking at. My case with him is just that he doesn't really have the profile to finish as the overall running back one therefore where you're getting him in the draft isn't really helping your team enough to justify that pick what i mean by that is last year he finished as the rb3 in ppr rb4 in standard that sounds great right 300 fantasy points looks awesome but the reality was he finishes the rb9 in points per game so if you own Najee harris you felt the rb9 you didn't feel the rb3 right he didn't have really a committee behind him. He also played almost every game, not every game, if I'm not mistaken. So you felt the RB9. You didn't feel like you had an RB3. In addition to that, he his overall stats look good. He had 1,200 rush, rushing yards for seven touchdowns, 74 receptions for three touchdowns. That looks awesome, right? But the reality was he had 3.91 yards per carry, which for context, it was 28th in the NFL for running backs you really want elite running backs to be in the fives. You want good running backs to be in four yards of carry. He was under four. That's a really concerning red flag. Um, Rashad Penny for context at the end of last year was in the sixes. I mean, that's just a stat that is a pretty good indicator of what 
what the running back's ability in reality is. And he had a really bad metric there. He also had, you know, 2.6 yards after context. Again, for clarity, Jonathan Taylor, Javante Williams, Nick Chubb, Elijah Mitchell, Derrick Henry all had over three yards after contact. Granted, he had a, um, you know, really bad offensive line, but we knew that that was a case. You still expect him to be over three yards of carry if he's an elite running back. So he did finish, like we talked about, with the 300 fantasy points. That, without going too much into it, is the lowest running back three finish since 2015, which is Danny Woodhead. I mean, his running back three finishes, the running back three finishes since him in the last couple of years, 2020 was Derrick Henry, it was 2019 it was Zeke, 2018 it was Todd Gurley, 2017 it was Kamara. They all had anywhere from two, three to five points every single week more than what Najee Harris did last year. So we've talked about this kind of ad nauseum in other podcasts, but running back scoring was down last year. So you can't really take anything last year. You should take everything last year with a grain of salt, just in relation to what they did overall. All that to say, my take on Najee Harris is just, I don't think that you're getting the value that you think you're getting at the end of the first round. You're getting him as the RB6, but you're saying from a draft perspective that those first couple running backs, the Jonathan Taylor, Chris McCaffrey, if he can't finish there, you're automatically doing the same thing that the Jonathan Taylor runner is doing, but you're not giving yourself the strategic advantage to beat them because you're forcing yourself, your next pick to have to outperform their next pick. Whereas instead of picking Najee Harris at the end of the first round, you could take a DeAndre Swift or Saquon Barkley, or even reach a little bit for Javonta Williams, who all three guys we like, and especially in Saquon Barkley's case has already finished as the running back one. And you can then look at the Jonathan Taylor and Christian McCaffrey owners and say, I have a guy who can actually outperform you and I have a better second round pick. And I think just from a strategic perspective, which is kind of how my brain works, you're setting yourself up better for an actual like league winning upside than if you just take Najee Harris, knowing instead of zigging while everyone's zagging, you're just zagging while everyone's zagging, but doing it a step behind them, right? So that's kind of my case on Najee Harris. I know that's a little long-winded, but there's a couple stats in there that I felt were necessary to kind of like paint the picture because, again, if you look at Najee Harris's profile, you see, oh, RB3 finish, he's great, but he's not even being drafted as the RB3. So the fantasy community is already reacting, but we're just not reacting enough and dropping him far enough for him to be worth the value that you're getting him at. Yeah, I I think that Najee is kind of the epitome of of this whole podcast, right? Like thinking about who are guys being drafted super early that will be good, but just odds are they won't be elite. And I I think Najee is the epitome of that. He plus there's not a good narrative with it with Big Ben leaving, and um, there's just there's just unknown. You know, it would be one thing if Russell Wilson came in the offseason to the Steelers. You know, that's why we love Javante, but it's Mitch Trubisky did. And so he may be fine. I think he'll be good. Um, but I don't think there's a narrative that exists that he's going to be a league winning running back. Um, you know, I think the best thing that Najee can do for your team is play all 17 games. That's, that's probably what I would think. And so, um, you know, I think Najee is, is really the epitome of that. My guy um, that I wanted to highlight is Joe Mixon, um, which inversely of Najee, I think he has some really good narratives that are coming. You know, the Bengals went from being 
a bottom dwelling team having the number one overall pick to being um, in the Super Bowl last year. And so uh, Mixon's super talented. He's he is good, but I just don't know if there's a case for him to be the RB one. He, um, you know, the Bengals were incredibly, incredibly um, efficient last year. They scored on um, a huge percentage of their drives. Um, and Joe Mixon got a ton of touchdowns because of that a lot of his touchdowns um, are, are a lot of his total points for uh, the season last year came from touchdowns and just from getting a lot of touchdowns. And so uh, last year was his best year. He finishes the RB four. Um, but before that, his best finish was the RB 10. And I don't, I think that we really need to remember that, he's really struggled with um, just different injuries lingering. And, um, you know, it's, it's really been to his detriment. He's never been able to be a, um, an elite winning, an elite league winning running back. And so I just think that his ceiling's capped, you know, he's not a, he's not a pass catcher like what McCaffrey is. He's not, um, super utilized. Um, and, has opportunity like Jonathan Taylor does. And so I just, I think that there's too much offense to go around with Chase, with Higgins, Burrow. Um, then you add in Mixon, you still have Boyd there. Um, and so anyways, I just, I don't see a ceiling for him where he finishes the RB1. And my first round pick, I want to take someone who will be the RB1. Yeah, and I think with Mixon, relative to other running backs in the first couple rounds, he's incredibly dependent on how good or how bad his offense not only is season long, but also week to week. So a lot of other running backs you can get can be kind of depend not dependent on that. And even if their team is bad, they can still be good. Joe Mixon has proven that he goes as the Bengals go. And if you expect any dip in the Bengals offense – you have to also expect a dip in Joe Mixon's performance. Yeah, and I think the Bengals are going to be really good this year, but there is that risk. I actually traded him today for Javante Williams, so uh, I feel feel good about that. But uh, my guy that I'm talking about, which I'm so scared to say this on record, but uh, I'm going to talk about Derrick Henry and really just kind of keeping it simple on the points. I know Derrick Henry is a monster, and if he heard this, he'd probably eat me or stiff arm me into the ground. But I just think... Coming off the injury of the list, Frank, I just am a little bit nervous about the way that he runs being such a heavy, heavy runner and such a vicious runner. Anytime you're recovering from an injury that inhibits you in any way, uh, it's not quite the Achilles, but it's the next worst thing to happen. We saw what Cam Newton coming back and kind of how it slowed him as he got older um, as a running quarterback. I know those aren't exactly the same, but uh, just nervous with that. Also, a running back that is over the age of 28, um, 28 up is really starting to hit that decline. We know from historically from fantasy. And so there's just not, uh, and I, I don't have the stats in front of me, but uh, running backs that are that age that have finished as a running back one, which Derrick Henry is essentially being drafted as a running back three. So finishing in that outcome um, is, is really what you're drafting him to do. There's just not a lot, a lot of people that have done that. And then we factor in the ten- Tennessee Titans have done absolutely nothing to improve their offensive line. In fact, they're getting worse. Taylor um, Lewin is coming off an injury a couple years ago. He hasn't been the same since. And uh, the offensive line is ranked by pro um, 
football focus is 27th overall. And so just some, some nervousness there. And if you're doing any type of half point PPR, PPR, as a lot of the leagues are going to, your pass catching ability for Derrick Henry is, is capable, but it's not his strong suit. And to be one of those top end guys, you really want to have that safe floor of where guys that are going to get four or five receptions a game and maybe add 30, 40 yards in that. And I just don't see Derrick Henry is getting that. He's more dependent on the two touchdown, 200 yards game to boast his score and boost that. So that's kind of where I'm at on Derrick Henry. Yeah, no, I think, I mean, if you look at his weeks one through seven, which is before he got hurt, he was so far and away the best running back. It was 60 to 70 points, depending on your scoring format, better than the next running back. So it's not even close. But I think like a lot of the points you said, especially with the age, we've seen guys like Todd Gurley and Le'Veon Bell and lots of older running backs just completely fall off. And um, that's a, a scary thing. So I definitely agree. Cool. Well, we'll run right into wide receivers then. And uh, Huff, you can kind of just keep that going there with, with your first guy. Again, guys that are being taken to finish those, those top end guys that we think after their draft value are not quite going to make that. Yeah. So my guy this year is uh, Tyreek Hill. He's actually going as the seventh wide receiver right now off the board. Um, but he's still going in the top two rounds. And my thing with him is he's, if you've had Tyreek Hill since he basically came into the league in 2016, he's been awesome, right? If you've had him in redraft any of the years, he's helps you win a, championship hopefully dynasty he's been awesome the issue is he moved from arguably the best i would even say arguably the best offense in the last five years in the kansas city chiefs to the miami dolphins and we like the miami dolphins as an upcoming team this year but they're no patrick mahomes andy reed kansas city chiefs right the issue with that is there's also been a lot of wide receivers that move teams Recently, we have a little recency bias with guys like Stephon Diggs who come into a new situation and are just elite. By and large, though, when a wide receiver moves teams, new offenses, new schemes, they don't typically perform at the same level they were already performing at, right? So that's the first kind of peg against Tyreek Hill. The second couple things, you really need two of three things to go right. And I'll be kind of quick on these, but you need Tua to take a step forward. Tua was not a good quarterback last year. You need Tua things to go right. <laughs> yeah, something like that. Right. You need so Tua 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 Tonga was 29th in air yards, 26th in completions. He was anywhere from the 26th to the 28th best quarterback last year. He was coming off an injury and new system, but you still need him to take a step forward. That could happen again, but you need two of these three things, right? The second of those two of those three is you need Tyreek to stop declining in performance the last over the last five years he kind of peaked so you have to take out 2019 because he got hurt in 2019 but in a lot of key metrics he started really declining last year right whether it's fantasy points over expectation which he declined in starting from 2020 down to 2021 points per game receiving touchdowns air yards per target you see a pretty significant drop off in what he was building up to. You saw an increase every year from 2016 to 2020, and you're starting to see a decline. And it's not like anything changed in those years. Same offense, same quarterback, same coach, same offensive scheme. So it, there is a little bit of concern. He's getting up there in age. So you need either one, Tua, to take a step forward. You need two, Tyreek, to stop declining. Or you need three, Jalen Waddle to kind of plateau. Jalen Waddle, star wide receiver out of Bama, also 
collegiate teammates with Tuatango Vailoa in Alabama, had a great rookie year. He's was comped in college as his professional comp was Tyreek Hill. So he's just basically a new, younger Tyreek Hill. So there's just a lot of factors working against Tyreek Hill. Not saying that two of those three can't go right, but if only one of those three things happens, he doesn't necessarily outperform his current value. Maybe he hits it. Maybe he's right below it. I'd rather be a year too early than a year too late holding the bag on Tyreek Hill, right? I'd rather get another year of okay performance and then next year him drop off than me take him this year and him drop off and my team kind of be, you know, down in the river because I picked Tyreek Hill so early. So that's kind of the guy that I think it's, there's just a lot of things, a lot of things working against him. And there's a lot of receivers around that range that we could take that have arguments pretty easily that we all agree on that we like to take that step forward. Yeah, I agree. Uh, There's been a lot of drafts I've been in where I see Tyreek Hill there in the second round and you know what he can be at his best. And, you know, he has that, 200 yard game in the just in the first quarter or whatever and it's you want that so bad on your team but uh your your argument's totally right and it's kind of similar to my guy that i chose and that's Devonte adams another another wide receiver on a different team with a worse quarterback um you know there there's just a lot of things that can change there's a lot of things that um, can go wrong and i think that in the second round you really want to take guys that have a for sure floor and a, and a really big upside. And so, um, my guys, Devonte Adams, it's, it's, there's just some worry there with Waller. They love Waller there. He's working on an extension. They love Renfro there. Um, he's been super productive and talented and McDaniels has always used a slot guy all going all the way back to Wes Welker and Danny Amendola and Julian Edelman and Renfro fits that role perfectly. And so, um, I just, there's just, those are some red flags I have plus car. I mean, his, his record of touchdowns he's ever thrown was 32. And, um, I think Rogers has close to more than that just about every year. And so, um, you know, it's just, that's a, there's a lot of fear in taking Adams there. I mean, we know his ceiling and what he was just talent wise, but, you know, receivers can be super talented, but the reality is you got to have someone um, equally as talented on the other side of the ball, getting it to him. And so that's my guy. I just have some worries with Devonte Adams. I don't, I don't see a reality where he truly does finish as the one wide receiver. Yeah. I definitely worry about the car element to it going from Aaron Rodgers and that, that just the chemistry that they had. I know David Terry, David's his brother. I know Derek Carr played with Devonte Adams in college, but it's hard to imagine that they are going to have the chemistry that Aaron Rodgers and Devontae had. And so that worries me for sure. Another guy that worries me and where he's being taken right now is CD lamb. Obviously this is very easy for me to talk about since, uh, being a lions fan, I don't love the Cowboys, but, uh, I just think when you look at what CD's finished as in the, his first two years in the league, yes, I get it. Could be a big third year breakout coming, but the best finish that he's had so far is wide receiver 18 and half point PPR. And right now he's being drafted as the wide receiver seven. And we're thinking that he could be in that top five, arguably that one, um, or at least what fantasy football world consensus is thinking fantasy football, um, 
Twitter, if you will. And uh, I just think that's going to be really hard to do. Um, with the Cowboys, there's so much up and down with who's playing. They've already had an injury to their offensive line. Um, Dak has been injured the last couple of years. There's just a lot of variability there. And it, it's really nerve-wracking for me to, you know, I just think a lot of everything's going to have to go right for CD to even come close to that because he hasn't quite done that before. And I think that the fact that now he's the number one guy, he doesn't have Amari Cooper taking away some of those coverages from him. It's going to be a lot harder to get space. He's going to draw the number one guy every week. And I'm hesitant to think that he has the ability to um, put that, uh, that season together where he's going to be the wide receiver one with the, with those tough coverages, with all the factors against him. I think the Cowboys offense is going to rely on him a lot. And I think he's going to be good for fantasy but not where he's being drafted. And so that's why I'm out on CD and would classify him in this case as a bust. Yeah, I, I am a huge, huge Cowboys fan. And I unfortunately agree with you, Jonathan. I love CD lamb this year. I think he is one of the best route runners um, in the NFL. I think he's one of the best um, like go up and get it guys. He's just an acrobat. And so he's fun to watch, but uh, the, the Tyron Smith thing is, is tough. I mean, it is absolutely devastating, um, to the Cowboys and without a good offensive line, especially a left tackle and your right tackle is playing for Cincinnati. Now, um, there's not going to be a ton of time for CD to really progress in his routes. It's going to have to be really short routes, which no wide receiver one, um, all of his routes are short routes. He's got to get down the field and, um, so because he can't get down the field, I think he's going to catch a lot of passes. I think he's going to get a ton of targets. I think he's going to get a good amount of touchdowns. He's going to be used a ton, but, but the makings of a wide receiver one is someone who is in the end zone and he's got to be able to do that and have time for that. And he doesn't. So I agree. Yeah. And it's just a value thing, right? You're just getting him where you're drafting him, where you already project him to be versus drafting people around that, that have already done it. And we're projecting him to take another step forward. Well, that does it for our wide receivers. We'll touch on tight ends just real quickly. And, and really, I just want to pose, pose the question to you guys, uh, just kind of as a, a who do you like more? Uh, you've got Waller and Kittle, and then now Dalton Schultz, who finished as a tight end three and a half point PPR last year, kind of going around the same time. And so with kind of the standards that we've created here and the, the algorithm, if you will, of, of where we're looking and taking guys, who are you taking in that situation? Or, or let me put it this way. Who are you most scared to take in that situation? We'll start with you, Huff. Yeah, so this is secluding the top three tight ends, which is Travis Kelsey, Mark Andrews, and Kyle Pitts, which are going way higher in drafts. When you get to this Waller-Kittle-Schultz range, the guy I'm most scared to take is George Kittle. And it is twofold. Injuries, which is a hard argument to hang anything on just because – Everyone can get injured, and Darren Waller is currently injured right now in training camp. But also, George Kittle's touchdowns. So he does not historically score a lot of touchdowns. He has Trey Lance coming in. He's got, I think, easily, we all agree, the most upside. If he does hit and him and Trey Lance have a good connection, it's just hard to bank on. And so I like Waller. I like his already rapport with Derek Carr. I like that Devontae Adams finally gives defenses somebody else to focus on because Darren Waller typically gets double teamed, sometimes triple teamed because there's no one else out there. Um, so Kittle is the one I'm most scared about. Waller is the one I take the most. Schultz is the one I'm willing to be the wrong on the most. Who finishes the tight end three? Could be the tight end three again. 
Yeah, I'll kind of flip-flop that for you. I obviously talked about uh, the Cowboy previously, and I promise I'm not just a Cowboy hater. Well, I kind of am. But uh, Dalton Schultz, I think, for a lot of the same reasons I talked about CD, there's just not that uh, Amari Cooper there to open up the field anymore, and they really don't really have a guy that's come in to take that role. James Washington got hurt, um, and so I think a lot of the factors around him are going to make it really hard to just finish as that tight end three or even finishes a tight end five, which is where he's getting drafted at. I think that, uh, I don't know that the talent profile is really there on Schultz. I think it was just like an opportunity cost um, and he got some touchdowns. So I think there's some regression that's going to be there and I'm nervous about Schultz. I'm in on Kittle and Waller. I'll be wrong about. So uh, that's where I stand. Yeah, I will be wrong about Schultz. Um, I'm totally okay with that. I watch every Cowboys game and he, just does not look like an athlete. Um, Kittle, I'm, yeah, uh, okay, fine. He's an athlete. That's fine. But he, an NFL athlete. I mean, he'd probably, like probably look like an athlete to us. Okay, one on one, maybe not. But like, there's pretty high standards in Dallas. I'm a Jason Witten fan from the very beginning. And um, Schultz just, Schultz does not have the looks um, of a, of a elite tight end. I'm in on Kittle. I think there is huge amount of upside there. Um, and I am out on Waller simply because there's too many mouths to feed. Um, I don't think there's enough touchdowns to go around and it's a new coaching staff. There's just a lot of risk there and where he's going. I'd much rather grab a Mike Williams or Hollywood Brown at that spot and punt and get Cole Komet later. So, um, that's, that's kind of where I'm at with those tight ends. Well, we both doubled up, Braden. So either Cowboys fans are going to come after me or Raiders fans are going to come after you. Huff's the only one keeping it keeping it real and keeping it even across the board. So well done there. Well, anything's better than Jaguars fans. So Yikes. Well, we're getting out of here on that one. So that does it for us. Like, subscribe, please, even if we just offended you. Uh, and we will be back here next time. So that does it for the Average Pros. See ya. Your time is valuable, and we thank you for sharing a little of it with The Average Pros. For more clear, concise, and competitive analysis, be sure to follow us on Twitter at AverageProsFF. That's at AverageProsFF. Editing and production by Jonathan Rates. Voiceover by Ben Johnson. Music by Josh Lippy and The Overtimers. We'll catch you at the next one.